Welcome to the Bookback Podcast, where we help you navigate and explore the world of Christian fantasy books. I'm your co-host, Carlos OJ. And I am the other co-host, Jason. There's two of us. Today, we are going to discover 10 fun facts about J.R.R. Tolkien, one of the most influential of Christian fantasy authors. But before we get into that, I have writing updates. So You wrote the word the in your most recent book. No. <laughs> I'm sure there's a couple so, of in there. <laughs> for Christian Fantasy 101, I have finished the main research. So like I'm still leaving it open to as I'm writing the book. Uh, if I feel like I need to know more about something, I'll do some more research on that. But I have all the basic research done with. Yay! Clap for me. <laughs> Enthusiasm. <laughs> <laughs> And for my next fantasy book, Davy Jones Aquarium, I finished all the pre-editing changes. So now it is time to find and hire an editor. Yeah, it's funny what happens when you don't have a set option or decide to change how you do things. Yeah, I'm not going through a publisher this time. So well, I have to find my own not editor. not the same one. All your other ones have been through Word of Life Press and... They're almost a hybrid between traditional and independent publishing. But the main thing is why we're not going with them again is that they're more set up for speakers, for people who want to do this to make a living. Those books in your Christian bookstore, those inspirational stories or quasi-devotionals. Or Christian living stuff. Yeah. Anything that is somewhat spiritual without being very deep theologically, <laughs> typically speaking. That's... What they seem to typically not always, but so those are my writing updates. Did you want to give any writing updates? Writing's hard if you don't do it for a while and try to pick it back up. Makes sense. That's all I got. That's all you got. Okay. I don't know what you want from me. He was working on writing today. Yay! It's like exercise. Deciding you're gonna get in shape after not doing it for all of your entire life. Was <laughs> it that hard? <laughs> You wrote some fun stuff. And we are sure that's going to make it past the editing board. Why? I would assume so. <sighs> Must have a very lenient editor, this <laughs> fictional person. All right. Now that I have completed my research, or at least the basics of it, I have come up with a list of 10 fun things to say about John Ronald Raoul Tolkien. He's the author of The Lord of the Rings was the author of The Lord of the Rings, among multiple other books, most of which were published after he died. <laughs> You forgot The Hobbit, sweetie. The Hobbit? Yeah, that's another famous Okay, one. did he publish anything outside of the whole Middle Earth thing? Yes, some short stories. Before he died. Before, So, Smith of Wooten Major, we may talk about that a little bit. Wait, what? Was a short story that was the last thing he published before he died, possibly the last thing he wrote before he died. Mm. So, I don't think I've talked about most of these with Jason yet, but I think he'll know some of them anyway. I don't know. We've talked about at least a couple. Mostly we talked about you complaining that there was 10 interesting facts about this guy. Uh, it was just harder for me. Because I she's a fan like... of Lewis and McDonald, but not Tolkien. It was more like, for C.S. Lewis, there's this stereotyped image of him that cuts out so much of his life. Don't remind so, me, it's sickening. So it felt easy to fill that out. For George MacDonald, most people don't even know who he is. So coming up with 10 little known facts about him isn't exactly hard. First one, his name is George MacDonald. Boom. <laughs> Knowledge Bob dropped. 
for Tolkien, it feels like the most surprising thing to learn about him was that he was. Are you gonna spoil it? No, (laughs) I didn't write this one down. A little bit of a grump sometimes, (laughs) and a difficult person to work with sometimes. Like the artist temperament kind of thing. I wonder if that's where we got the stereotype. Probably we got it from lots of people. Anyway. Like you. (laughs) Uh, We'll be getting Jason's reactions and questions. And I will attempt to answer your questions. Attempt. (laughs) But you're not a fangirl of this guy. So how many of these questions will you be able to answer? Uh, I hope I'll be. I mean, I did research on him. So there's that. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. All right. So I had this ordered. Wait, what? There we go. That's, that's how you're ordering it. Seriously. That's how I'm ordering it, yes. Why would you do it that way? Why wouldn't you what? go top to bottom? <laughs> Sorry, he's looking at my notes and critiquing them. <laughs> I am so confused by these notes. I don't even know where to start. Well, you're not supposed to understand them. I am. But how am I supposed to know if you got the notes right? How would you know if I got the notes right? <laughs> Maybe if I could read them. Okay, fun fact. Number one, actually, this is possibly the most interesting thing about him to me. No, there's a couple other interesting ones. Okay, he was born in South Africa. Did you know that? So was Steve Nash. We all know he's British, but he was born in South Africa. Steve Nash was born in South Africa. Yeah, and we all know him as Canadian. Right. So if it can work for Nash, I'm sure it could work for Tolkien. (laughs) (laughs) So he spent a couple childhood years in South Africa. It happens to people, okay? They get bored in other countries. countries. (laughs) I know of a Swedish professional hockey player who was born in Calgary for crying out loud. (laughs) All right. Fun fact number two. A lot of people may know this. He was Catholic and a major influence on C.S. Lewis becoming a Christian. I'm not sure actually a lot of people would know that. You don't think so? Or if they do, how many of them would get Tolkien credit for that? He's Catholic, sweetie. Evangelicals like to pretend that Catholics are of the wrong ilk, (laughs) in my experience. Yeah, isn't that a fun one that we often see Catholics as not really Christians? But we see C.S. Lewis as definitely a Christian, and Tolkien was a Catholic who helped lead him to Christianity. So Evangelicals' response? It was a happy accident. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Fun fact number three, which is actually maybe one of my favorites. He was a, okay, let's see if I can pronounce this right. Philologist. How about you tell me? Philologist. How about you tell me what the heck that is? It's a type of linguistics. So studying language. Uh, I read one source called it comparative linguistics. So like what? Comparing Canadian French to (laughs) France French? I mean, they could do that too, uh, looking at the origins of languages and how languages evolve over time, that sort of thing. You could spend several lifetimes on English alone. Spend, I guess, a lot of time on lots of different things. But English is notoriously weird. English is odd, although Tolkien had a very high view of English. So, fun fact number four, he helped write for a dictionary briefly. You might need to remind people out there in the audience what the heck a dictionary (laughs) is. Everybody should know what a dictionary is, even if they only use the online version. Dictionaries are very important. That may be so They give the definition current understanding of words and when tolkien did it it would have been in a massive book yeah probably the biggest book on your shelf that you used to brain someone fun fact number five he also helped translate for a bible uh the jerusalem bible he really downplayed 
how much work he actually did in that because he only translated the book of Jonah and he said that the editors really changed a lot of what he translated. So really, how much of it was him and maybe he was just like that celebrity translator? This Bible was translated by Tolkien. <laughs> Let's downplay the part. He only translated one of the smaller books in the Bible. And even then we, you know, edited and erased most of it. Boom. But those are, yeah, the dictionary and Bible were some of the fun things he did with his language learning. Uh, number six, another fun thing he did was invent two elvish languages. So I'm not sure if I'm going to pronounce these right. Quenya and Sindarin. So which elves speak what? Oh my goodness. I actually did look this up and (laughs) (laughs) I don't remember. (laughs) And did they use these languages in the movies? Yes, I believe they did because, you know, Tolkien fans are going to notice that sort of thing. But are there enough of them to make us think that people would actually pay attention to them? Keeping in mind that the Lord of the Rings movies was put out before internet geekdom was a thing. There were still a lot of Tolkien fans. So we forget this <laughs> time period. But remember that crazy time in, what was it? When all these drug addicts and people belling against the war in Vietnam and stuff. Wasn't that Tolkien? the 60s? Yeah, Tolkien was considered a major favorite of theirs. Very, <laughs> he wasn't entirely pleased with being associated with that crowd, but <laughs> he was. Uh, his books, at least, were associated with that crowd. A voice for the people, man. <laughs> you just like really got us, dude. Yeah. Apparently. <laughs> so. Fun fact number seven, Uh, according to Alistair McGrath on the C.S. Lewis podcast, Tolkien did not like Narnia or the Narnia books. Were they too kiddie for him? That might have been part of it. He complained about them stealing ideas from him because... So how Tolkien worked, Tolkien worked, is he would spend a lot of time revising his stories. So he'd get them written down and then he'd do a rewrite and another rewrite and another rewrite and another rewrite and another rewrite. Um, And then scrap it and start all over again (laughs) because he came up with another way of telling the same story. But this one was better in his mind. So why would he stick with the old one? So anyway, it was hard to get him to get to a point where he was actually finished enough to publish versus C.S. Lewis, who was a very avid writer who got a lot of things published in his lifetime. uh, No, 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 no. You got it wrong. Hmm? It's just he wasn't as much of a perfectionist. He wasn't as much of a perfectionist, yes. So C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien were friends, part of the same writing group. One of them worked a lot faster than the other. So you ended up with things like Tolkien. Well, this is what he says happened and what's presumed to happen. Tolkien came up with some ideas and C.S. Lewis just got his books to the printer faster. So he included some ideas that he probably got from Tolkien. But then it looked like Tolkien was ripping off C.S. Lewis because Tolkien got long, took longer to get published. Like what? So the singing uh, things into creation. You remember uh, in yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Chronicles of Narnia, the magician's nephew. Yep, yep, yep. The Aslan one published. Sings, Aslan sings creation into being. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was from Tolkien, the Silmarillion, where also the creator is like leading an orchestra, basically of angels, and that's how the 
creation is planned out and then later it unfolds. Was he at like an opera house or a classical music house when this idea came to him or something? Uh, I'm not sure where the idea came from. Okay, because it sounds like, you know, he just like dozed off or something like that in the middle of an opera house or something like that. and Boom, idea. I think I've heard some people say that a better translation of when God speaks things into existence is it could be translated sings things into existence in Genesis. Which would make sense but, considering the fact that Tolkien was at least adept in translating the Bible. He was capable of doing it. Yeah, he was a language nerd who would know lots of different linguistic things. So it's and a Catholic feasible he would tradition. know that stuff. Yeah. All right. Fun fact number eight, uh, his connection with George MacDonald. So early on, he considered himself a fan of George MacDonald and George MacDonald to have greatly influenced his writing. Right. As he got older, he decided he detested George MacDonald. Did he ever tell Lewis that? <laughs> well, he did say that he didn't want to be too harsh on George MacDonald because Jack, aka Lewis, got a lot out of him. So why did he not so, like MacDonald? So I read most of the information I got about it was from Jason Fisher's essay, Reluctantly Inspired George MacDonald and J.R.R. Tolkien. Um, I'll post the link in the notes. Uh, why didn't he like him? He figured out, apparently, he didn't realize this reading George MacDonald at first, which I understand. George MacDonald has a very mystical writing quality to him. Okay, he didn't okay. realize that George MacDonald's stories are often heavily allegorical or symbolic. So it is not just random enchantment thrown out of nowhere. It, a lot of it has deep symbolism and uh, references to different things. Okay. And Tolkien absolutely detested allegory and anything that even seemed allegorical. Well, then how does he justify what he came up with, considering that he used things like Norse and Irish legends as huge inspirations for his mythology? So he more so drew from mythology, and he saw himself as better at maintaining traditional folklore than what George MacDonald did. Oh, so he's more about maintaining it as opposed to twisting it or contorting it to make it fit whatever or the point is he's trying to make. trying to do new things with it, he's more so trying to recapture old things, but in a very specific manner. We'll get to that. So you, we talked a little bit about smith of wooten major which is a short story that was possibly the last thing tolkien wrote and the last thing he published which interestingly is actually a very george mcdonald style story i didn't notice that when hearing it and jason fisher brings it up in his article is that it's an interesting thing that later in his life he decided he detested george mcdonald's influence yet the last thing he wrote possibly the last thing he wrote was very clearly george mcdonald-esque so he had a complex relationship <laughs> with his influence from George MacDonald. <laughs> okay, then. Fun fact number nine is Middle Earth is actually supposed to be, it was designed as a mythology for England. So uh, in Tolkien's letter to Milton Waldman, so that was his publisher at the time, he said, I was from early days grieved by the poverty of my own beloved country. It had no stories of its own bound up with its tongue and soil, none of the quality that I sought. So his goal was to make a official English mythology of sorts. Um, although later in life he decided that was a really ambitious and probably arrogant goal. 
<laughs> that probably wasn't really possible. Well, you could try, you but, could try, but... <laughs> no guarantees that what he would come up with would stick. But it's interesting, like, reading his letter and when he's qualifying. I, it, there's none of the stories that I want. You know, Celtic mythology comes close, but it's not quite what I'm going for. And Arthurian legends are were written... Oh, were they in France? Anyway, he has to qualify with like, okay, I know that this could be classified as English mythology, but it doesn't count because of this reason. So Celtic mythology doesn't count. I forget why. Uh, Arthurian legend doesn't count because it was written in France, I think. Beowulf doesn't count because what was it like from Denmark? Anyway, it was interesting. Although he did really like Beowulf. Okay, then. his own translation of Beowulf. Fun fact number 10, Tolkien thought it was very important that fairy tales and fantasy stories are designed for adults and not just for children. So, okay, you might want to break that down a little bit more so because here. when we say for adults, that's usually code for there's going to be swearing, you know, oh, more maybe we have a, a very nudity or we have whatever. a very narrow and shallow definition of what adult means i, guess. I know and it's very <laughs> annoying and sickening but the problem is is that i can't get away from it because whenever somebody says something is oh it's so great it's so mature and yeah i'm kind of like okay how is it mature and they're just like oh it just has a lot of stuff you don't want your kids to see or hear i'm like how does that make it mature So, in his essay on fairy stories, he said, So would a beautiful table, a good picture, or a useful machine, such as a microscope, be defaced or broken if it were left long unregarded in a schoolroom? Fairy stories banished in this way, cut off from a full adult art, would in the end be ruined. So basically, uh, he was arguing for fairy tales not just being written for children, uh, but something that could be seen as an art form in the adult world as well. That otherwise they will just shrivel up and become worthless. Oh, okay. So tell me if I'm off base. But what he's getting at is something like how, you know, how with at least certain episodes of those DC cartoons from the 90s, like Batman, the animated series, how they would tackle more difficult subjects and stuff like that. And those tend to be the ones that people latch on have latched on to especially now would Um, that be a case i was thinking more like seeing the genre as not just aimed at a younger audience like i wanted to bring up we do seem to do that with fantasy in christian circles don't remind me it's like oh it has to be like family friendly or just aimed at you know for our kids you know like god forbid that somebody could write a fantasy novel that is explicitly aimed at adults mm-hmm. which like i determined the, is part of your problem is it mine explicitly aimed at adults i don't think so no but there are certain parts of it where i'm kind of like i'm not so sure this would fit under the quote-unquote family friendly picture like the whole mental health thing from the third Mm. book in tales of diversity that's not tackled like at all in fantasy book Mm. in christian fantasy books that i've seen simply because well there's a whole lot of reasons for that that i will not get into because a lot of them in my mind are dumb but i wonder if that does lead to some stagnation amongst christian fantasy whereas secular fantasy has never been under the illusion that this is just for Mm. kids so they continue to evolve and come up with new new classic stories whereas christian fantasy feels like it's just kind of trying to 
stay above water. <laughs> yes, its classics are Lewis, and if you really want to stretch it, maybe you could say Tolkien. You know, maybe you look past the whole Catholicism thing. And we consider The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan to be like uh, a classic uh, fantasy, uh, and it's not even... No, it's not fantasy. Technically, it is not it, fantasy. It's Let from it before fantasy was a genre. Well, and not just that, sweetie, but based on the bits I have read of it, I haven't read the whole thing. I've read bits of it, not just from the second part that everyone forgets. I have read parts of the first part, which is the one that everyone knows. It honestly feels more like a long form of a sermon in story form. Yeah, to me that reading, I read the whole thing. To me, it felt You're like a brave soul. A I'm loose here for you. Story. Let it out. <laughs> it felt like a loose story designed to string together a series of sermons. Part two actually flowed a little bit better. But oh, part one was very much just, oh, and uh, I, I, maybe I shouldn't rant. No, the go, Pilgrim's go. Progress this is getting is good. I classic. love this. Lewis got so much out of it. George MacDonald got a lot out of it somehow. <laughs> maybe they squeezed it really hard. There is uh, one section that is about the main protagonists are trying to teach a guy that you have to not just talk about your faith, but live it out. It takes multiple pages for them to explain this lesson to him about don't just talk about your faith, act it out too. <laughs> the Wait a irony. minute. It's about not just talking, but living things out. And it takes multiple pages of talking in order to get the lesson across. That was just too much irony for me. Wow. And the, <laughs> the, what was it? Yeah, it's James that makes a big thing about that. And that guy cranks that out in just like a couple of sentences. You mean in the book of James? James. Yeah. Makes the same point. A couple of sentences. <laughs> Boom. Enough said. Don't need to elaborate. Moving on. All right, I had a bonus fact, uh, a bonus fun fact. This better be good. The Lord of the Rings was voted voted by multiple uh, in multiple different surveys as the greatest piece of English literature in the 20th century. Somehow, I don't have a hard time believing that. Yeah, I mean, I haven't thought too hard at what else came out in the 20th century that was great English literature, but I guess. Well, that's yeah. the thing. What we tend to hold up as great English literature is things like Shakespeare. That, that was, was from long ago. Yeah, that was from long ago. But like, uh, Beowulf is another one that you pointed out. Again, that way not, long ago. But like, when did um, the Pride one, and um, Prejudice come Dantos out? Dantos Inferno. That'd be another one. Oh, that, that's that's wasn't English. That was Italian. Whatever. The point is, we <laughs> a lot of stuff we tend to hold up as great English yeah, literature isn't from the 20th, let alone 21st century. Wait a minute, where'd you see this whole vote thing on So it? it is actually something that gets brought up a lot in multiple resources that I looked through in different books and stuff, brought up these surveys, and it was multiple different surveys that were done. Lord and, of the Rings won. <laughs> and just so we're clear, these surveys weren't like that one that I referenced a podcast or two ago where there was only 14 people that responded to it. No, this was... Okay, it was a couple different things. One of them was a bookstore that asked people in Britain, I think, in the UK, what the greatest piece of literature in the 20th century was. Right. Uh, and then there were a couple other ones. I don't remember all the details of them, but yeah, The Lord of the Rings was very popular. Well, the movie certainly didn't hurt. <laughs> but even before then, like, I, I would maybe I will do, I do want to do in Christian Fantasy 101, I want to do a chapter on legacy. So on the influence that... 
Tolkien, Lewis, and George MacDonald have had on different famous authors and different things like that. Okay, you want one for Lewis and Tolkien? Simple. Find all those fantasy books, those Christian fantasy books that say, in the vein of Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. Or uh, I've seen a couple for Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, and I'm just like, wow, you're just so setting these books up for failure. Because I think it's I am going much... to read this book and go, this is not even close. I think in I Christian this? circles, uh, in the vein of Tolkien or in the vein of C.S. Lewis is code for it's a fantasy book. Not <laughs> that it's good. I don't think it means anything else. No, if I, I'm seeing that, it means not only is this a fantasy book, but it is actually really, 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 really good, if not fantastic. And if it's not those things, I am left very upset and disappointed and wishing that the writer, the publisher, the editor, and everyone involved in that book would be shamed forever doing that. Forever saying in the vein of... Yes. I don't think that's the editor's fault up, or the writer's fault. It sets up false expectations. That would be the publisher's fault. Whatever. Whoever's at fault, shame on you. That was our 10 fun facts on J.R.R. Tolkien. You somehow managed to do it. I did it. Yes. It took a while, but I did it. <laughs> As opposed to McDonald, especially. You pretty much spat that one off the top of your head. I had fun with George McDonald. <laughs> I feel like I know a lot more about him now than when I did that episode, but... So is Christian Fantasy 101 essentially going to be like a fan letter to George MacDonald? I'm going to try to keep it from being just that. (laughs) I mean, Lewis has lots of cool stuff too. And I will talk about Tolkien and his works. I mean, he has some interesting stuff. Just not as much (laughs) as George MacDonald. (laughs) Some of it also being that I think more of Tolkien's works were published after he died than before. That's because p- someone, usually his son, wasn't his son, his, yeah, Christopher, Christopher, yeah, yeah, would Christopher went through all the notes and compiled things and to varying results. What do you mean by that? Well, just narratively speaking. Oh, you didn't mean there are places where it's kind of like it doesn't ooh, flow quite as well. Yeah, but still, that's the best you can hope for when you're dealing with a perfectionist who. For whom nothing is good enough. (laughs) What? Like, okay. I remember hearing someone somewhere. I forget exactly where going. I'll bet Tolkien would have been proud of, you know, how the Lord of the Rings movies turned out or (laughs) how it turned into an attraction or whatever. And I'm kind of like... That guy Tolkien so... is such a perfectionist. Yes. Nothing would be good enough. So People finicky. complain about how picky J.K. Rowling was about the casting and everything like that for the Harry Potter movies. Uh-uh. It would have been impossible for anything to ever be good enough for Tolkien. The yeah, only probably. slight shot it would have had of being good enough is if it was animated. And then probably Disney would have done it and Tolkien hated Walt Disney. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Tolkien was too smart for his era. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's it for today. Sony should have done it under current day animation. They could have done it. So thank you for listening. Yeah. Uh, be sure to follow us at book-bat.com. Uh, you can listen to the podcast on that website or you can listen to it on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to review, subscribe, Whatever it is you do, you can also follow Carlissa on Facebook at book-bat, I believe it is. And yeah, see you next time. Bye. Bye.